Why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. What about the other reasons? Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He Listen has up. been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome, starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. Look like a videotape. Do you have, have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I watched it last night. I'd seen it before, but it's been a long, long time. I didn't remember much about it. Were you surprised? It's on. Okay. Um. It made as much sense as anything. <laughs> what is that? L. It's a most recent Paul Verhoeven movie. Paul oh, Verhoeven? Nice. I love that guy. Mm -hmm. When he's on, he's on. <laughs> yeah, he's got two speeds. Way on and way uh, well, off. Since he, he went back to Europe, they've all been good. Uh, yeah. Black Book was terrific. He just wasn't happy here. I think is what it was. Showgirls has gotten quite the cult following now. Mm. Yeah, he's not done anything as nuts as that. It was completely since. bananas. That was crazy. Uh, this one's good? Yeah. Hey, listeners, welcome to the show. We're already making this thing. Um, we are Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. This is This would be episode 82, wouldn't it? I believe so. Or is it 83? Mm. I get confused because I don't know what year this movie was made for sure. <laughs> 82. Okay. So um, we're going to spoil the movies we talk about. Well, not all of them, but the, the featured attraction. We'll, we'll spoil that. Thank you to the Moon Rays for giving us intro creature features, that song that opens the show. And um, you can find them on uh, Facebook where they are the Moon Dash Rays. Say hello to them. Buy their music on uh, iTunes or amazon well guys that was a weird one videodrome videodrome <laughs> what else did you watch Julian? you want to start yeah go ahead okay so i watched uh we were just mentioning l e l l e mm -hmm. 
Paul Verhoeven film starring Isabella Huppert, who's amazing. And she's on screen almost the entire movie. Oh, good. But she carries it. She's this, like, she's this woman who co-owns this um, uh, like video game development place in Paris. And uh, at the start of the film, uh, she she's raped. Mm-hmm. You don't know who it by is like. Uh, you don't see it. You just hear the noises. It flashes back to it later. Okay. <laughs> but um, uh, so she doesn't know who this guy is. What she does immediately afterwards is just cleans up, uh, dusts away all the broken crockery. Um, she goes out to dinner with her friends. Hmm. Like nothing's happening. You think what's going to happen? You you just can't tell what's going to happen next in this movie at any given point because yeah. she just steps over Do- it and keeps react. going. Yeah, it, it, like it, he really defies genres in this movie. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's you know it's, it's like a Hitchcockian thriller. But when you think it's going to go in a certain way, it doesn't. She like you think she's oh it's going to be a revenge thing. <laughs> she definitely catches up with the guy but it's not quite that it's but, not quite I spit on your grave no no, no definitely okay. not but uh, and it's like uh, it's a circle of nine people that she knows and, and uh, but uh, yeah it's it's really good what year did that one come out uh, last year oh wow so it's new mm-hmm. yeah our listeners don't get a whole lot of, hey, here's something new. <laughs> yeah. And it's Paul Verhoeven. And uh, so, yeah, he'll go places. <laughs> no, he, gave, he gave us <laughs> RoboCop. Do not go. He gave us RoboCop yeah. and Showgirls. This is not a, uh, like, <laughs> this is not camp. This is not a comic book movie. No. And those are those are fun. But, uh, yeah, this is a, and if you, if you want to see it, a great performance, um, this is stuff for them. It's great. Right. So I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I saw a Magnificent Obsession. I haven't seen that before. What was that? It's a Douglas Sirk movie. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. From 1954. Uh, I wasn't familiar with Douglas Sirk at all. No. But I've been I've been catching up on his films. They're just great. When like, you, when Tarnished you... Angels is so hard. It's like, uh, oh my God. It's like uh, The Misfits, but a few a couple of years before that. Oh, okay. oh really end of the world stuff. Uh, but Magnificent Obsession is beautiful looking. Uh, it's like Ruck it's okay, if this plot is familiar, uh Rock Hudson is this like he's a jerk who has an accident and uh he taps into spiritual power and becomes a surgeon. What? Hmm. That's way ahead of its time. Does that does that you you can imagine certain people from Marvel Comics having seen this and then thinking, yeah. hmm, well, what if it was like a magician, in, you know, if it was magic instead of like spiritual awakening? Um, what if we stole that, but, you know, and also it up? He takes a pseudonym. He's uh, Robbie Robinson, which is almost Robbie Robertson. Interesting. Um, and it's also got Barbara Rush in it, who was in um, It Came From Out of Space. Right. She was, she was born in Denver. Really? Yeah. Uh, Look, local uh, local pride hometown, yeah yeah hometown hero and then i saw a, a cool um martial arts movie called twin swords from 1965 it's the immediate follow-up to uh, temple of the red lotus you know one of the very first modern mm-hmm. martial arts movies and it's got the same cast you know it's got uh, wang yu uh chinping uh loli ku feng has got a small part in it um, but it's got these like rival clans, and uh, and most of it's concerned with uh, one clan busting into the stronghold of the others, and uh, uh, the bad guys have got this library which is just rigged with so many traps. <laughs> it's not, it's so, it must be lethal just to live there, you know. You get there's tons of impalings and uh, there's a beheading. Um, there's an arm lopping. There's yeah, ch- you know. The, there's like four generations of this family like invade this place, and and the little girl gets given this uh, amazing sword called the fish intestine sword. <laughs> huh. Something gets lost in translation yeah. there, doesn't it? So she gets to do a bit of uh, limb lopping with that. But uh, yeah, good fun. 1965. 
Yeah, <sighs> so that's what I've watched. Will? Um, you didn't go another week without watching anything, did you? Yeah, I didn't really watch anything. I watched Grizzly. Have you ever seen Grizzly? Mm-hmm. Grizzly? Really? From the 70s? Yeah, another <laughs> bad animal movie. How does it hold up? It's terrible. They, <laughs> uh, they killed the, the grizzly with a rocket launcher at the end. Oh, jeez, really? Yeah. So is it just like meat everywhere? No. They don't even show it, do they? No, it's a terrible effect of something blowing up. Let's paste it over the bear. I remember the poster for it. Yeah, it that's like, all I remember it's is the poster. To be Jaws on land or something. Basically, so. it's a slasher movie with a bear. <laughs> he, he shows up, he kills a couple campers. They were just grasping at straws to yeah. try and come up with the next Jaws, were they? It was totally, yeah. Yeah, it was by the same guy who did Day of the Animals, which I watched. Mm. Also, another riff track. Um, <laughs> the Swarm. So the Grizzly was a riff track? Yeah. And then I watched a cinematic Titanic that somebody did, a yeah. bootleg that they watched some movie called The Astral Factor. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> terrible. It's terrible, yeah. Like a killer who has psychic powers. Mm-hmm. It was no scanners. <laughs> <laughs> but then what is? And then we watched... Uh, I think I watched an episode of The Americans to get back into that. Um, that's about it, though. I watched a whole lot. Well, that's a good segue, because I watched several episodes of The Americans. I think it's the most recent season, so I'm about five or so episodes in. And um, started watching a Netflix original series called 13 Reasons Why. I've heard that's good. Yeah, it's, um, and I think people might be split on you know, without really knowing where where this thing is going, people might be split on is this exploiting suicide or not. But basically it's it's set out in the very beginning of the movie that there's a set of cassettes that this girl made before she killed herself. Yeah. And people have to listen to them and then pass them on to someone else. And everybody is implicated <clears throat> as being somehow at fault for her wanting to kill herself. Yeah. So it's following along um, one main character, and uh, he's the kid who played the bully in the American remake of of uh, Let the Right One In. Oh, okay. The Let Me In version. He, yeah, he's... didn't we see him in something else? We did. Recently? Uh, what was he in? Um, he, oh, uh, Don't Breathe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was the one that kind of kind of had it figured out. Yeah. But still couldn't get out of the house properly. Um, so that kid's a good actor. He's only like 20 years old. I can't think of his name right now, but, uh, it's a good series. I'm enjoying it so far. I'm about four or five episodes into it. Um, I'm assuming it's one season and done. Maybe there's some way to continue it. I don't know. 13 more reasons I thought of. Yeah. (laughs) They find these other tapes. Yeah. (laughs) There's a shoebox that was... She could come back as a long-haired ghost. I would love that. Everyone who watches the tape dies. Yeah. I didn't realize... I didn't realize there was a Grudge versus the Ring. Oh, yeah. Japanese movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on Shudder. I learned about it this week. Yeah. 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 And they think that they'll get the ghosts to fight one another, but they just team up. I watched about three documentaries, and I can only remember one of them. So give me danger, right? Oh, no. Actually, so I could remember two of them. Um <laughs> So Gimme Danger, uh, that uh, James Jarmusch has directed a uh, documentary about uh, Iggy and the Stooges. So if you like Iggy Pop or the Stooges or the two of them together, or I guess it would be four or five of them together. But um, anywho, it's it's great. And, uh, you know, being someone who enjoys their music but isn't a super fan, I was able to enjoy it more because there wasn't like this expectation of, oh, yeah, that's when this guy left or mm-hmm. this is when they quit touring for a while or this is when this happened i didn't know any of it really so it was kind of nice to just go for the ride and say oh they what happened mm-hmm. oh, okay um it's just great it's a it's a very conversational um approach to you know getting the story so through interviews and footage and a few kind of fun uh animation overlays on top of some interview uh audio you get to see some funny things happen but um Man, Iggy Pop, not afraid to just jump in the crowd and 
get hurt. Mm. <laughs> he wasn't afraid of anything. It was just that kind of Detroit, like, uh, let's go, you know? Like, they didn't care. Like, they would hitchhike somewhere, you know, break into an abandoned house, live there while they figured shit out, and just, you know, nobody seemed really... It, it, would, it was so punk rock ahead of its time. Man. And, uh, I mean, they didn't care. Just like, well, if it works out or it doesn't, you know, let's go. <laughs> and uh, so I watched Gimme Danger, and I, I, I know I watched, like, three other docs... Only one of which I can remember was The Lion in Your Living Room. It's about cats and how they um, have retained all of these instincts of their uh, of the big cats that they uh, descend from. And let's see, Shockwaves. Mm. I watched that one. What was um, that about? Um, that was a zombie movie from, I want to say, was it 80, 79? It's from about 77, I think. Oh, yeah, it was earlier. That's right. Pia Cushing. Yeah. And um, John Carradine. You can yeah. really see his arthritic um, oh, God. damage. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway. Wasn't he dead by about six years by that time? <laughs> <laughs> he, he might well have been. But it's about these people who get um, sort of marooned on this island. Um, it's, it's sort of a shipwreck, I guess you mm. could say. You know, it's not like they were on the high seas, but they were trying to get somewhere with a very compromised boat and end up uh, hitting some debris, which turns out to be uh, essentially a ghost ship. <laughs> I don't know. And they're on this island, and this dude is in charge of some Nazi zombies. And I know, mm -hmm. Jolien, you mentioned this one when we talked about... Yeah, I, I really like this one. Other Nazi zombies. But yeah, they were like underwater Nazi zombies. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't know how far it was going to go. Right. And it was pretty down scary. The second time I saw it, it was much less powerful. Yeah. But the, the zombies looked great. Had they're there been all, more of like them? So wrinkly. and Yeah, they were waterlogged. Yeah. Had there been more of them, it would have been scarier. Mm -hmm. There just weren't enough of them. There were like four. You just saw the same four guys. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think I could probably handle it. I don't know. If there were like a hundred of them, it might be another story. Yeah, I kind of wish it had gone for the gore and yeah they really didn't uh, anyway so i saw that uh finally saw the stuff <clears throat> which was from 85 86 something like that yeah it was i don't remember right dead center in the 80s yeah and uh basically it's the story of uh if some mining company discovered some marshmallow fluff that was irresistibly tasty and then marketed it and it turned out to be um, alien goo that takes over your mind. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And it's like... Age-old story. Yeah. It's, like, it's quite a funny satire of advertising and stuff. And consumerism yeah. and all that sort of thing. The diet craze that I'm sure was whatever fad was at the time. Oh, it was big. Yeah. I think that was all fat-free right then. Yeah, everything had to be fat-free. Yeah. It's like, yeah... It's not always the answer. How about Alestra? Remember Alestra? Oh, yeah. That was... What? Giving... Fat-free chips that would make you shit your pants? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> to, to put it kindly. It's like, yeah, you, you know, there's no... You can't gain any weight if you can't keep it in your body. Right. Mm -hmm. Basically, they made the fat molecules, like, a different size. Yeah. yeah. So your body couldn't absorb them. Yeah. So what does it do? Pushes them out very suddenly. Stop. Do you uh, want to eat on your first date? <laughs> no. Uh, so, anywho, um, that's what I watched. And then, of course, Videodrome. Mm. So, um, Videodrome. Videodrome. Our second Cronenberg film. In a row. In a row. <laughs> Did we do another Cronenberg? No. no, we've not watched any Cronenbergs. Damn, well, which is too bad. But law, now we've we've watched two in a row. Yeah, it's the law of averages said if it was going to finally happen, it was going to be several of them at once. Yeah, and we'll have to watch the fly. Mm. Now, I had to kind of uh, defer to somebody with with a, a greater depth of study in this to sort of uh, maybe put into words some of the thoughts I was having, some feelings I was having about Videodrome. And one of the things was 
Cronenberg was way ahead of his time with, mm-hmm. with what he was doing and uh, talking about, you know, other people were on the narrative of, oh, consumerism is going to do this. And, but people weren't thinking about consuming media as being consumerism yeah. as much as he was and thinking about it. the media consumes you. Yes. Who's consuming whom, <laughs> one might ask. So um, there's a, uh, a website called deepfocusreview.com. And a guy named Brian Eggert um, went through and very thoroughly reviewed uh, Videodrome. So I'll refer to his review on a few points here when, when we're talking about this, because I think he really kind of nailed it. One of the things was you're less than 15 minutes into this movie and already um, you have to, at that point, suspect the reality of everything that's going on. Let's, let's um, clue people in on what the setup is. Yeah, okay, so Videodrome. Uh, we've got this guy, Max, who's played by James Woods, and uh, he works at a Toronto uh, cable station, or UHF station, I think it is. Yeah, it's like a local cable. Yeah, so uh, UHF, I think, was actually broadcast, <clears throat> so you didn't need a cable service to get it. Channel 83. <laughs> is that what it was, 83? Yeah. So um, he's working there, and... He's sort of in charge of coming up with more provocative content. Yeah. And one of the things he came up with was this kind of softcore porn that they could show and be able to show. And was it the Samurai's Samurai Dream? Samurai Dreams. Samurai Dreams was the name of it. Yes. They produced like five or seven minutes of this, apparently. That's on the DVD. Yeah, yeah. You can see the whole thing. In its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> and so on his quest to find more stuff... Um, this sort of pirate hacker dude that works in the control room says, hey, check out this weird phantom feed I've been picking up. I think it's coming out of Malaysia. And it's something that they're calling Videodrome because people are, it looks like a snuff film. Yeah. And he says that, oh, we think they know when you're tuning into their signal and they scramble it or they scramble it every so often so you can't continue watching it. And so... It's all very intriguing. It's very forbidden. It's like the forbidden fruit. And uh, so being intrigued, James Woods wants to kind of take some time and see more of it. And and, uh, this guy is sort of his enabler to begin with. Uh, So that's kind of the setup. And then we'll go into the things with Nikki here shortly. But uh, this was a rewatch for all of us. Yeah. And we each figure it's been at least 10 years. Oh, easily. It's uh, been a lot longer than I, I've that. I've seen it a couple of times recently because you know, Criterion bought out the Blu-ray last year. Oh, so you, you watched that when you bought it? Yeah. Okay. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. And it looks just like a Betamax tape. Yes. Yeah, especially the, the DVD edition is about the right size for a Betamax. Yeah. And they should put the <clears throat> Blu-ray in a bigger case. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the harm? <laughs> it's like, who's going to mind? It won't fit on the shelf exactly. It won't fit with my, all my other Criterion collections. <laughs> but I, I know there's, there's there's quite a gap between you know seeing it on video and then seeing them getting it on Criterion. Right. So, uh, but you know, it's, it's just a movie that stays in your head. Oh, yeah. definitely. And you think about it, and like you, you see what's going on, and it just becomes more and more mm-hmm. potent. You know, more and more relevant. I forgot how much it relates to his later film x distance oh yeah yeah that's a lot like this but Mm -hmm. video games instead of just movies yeah or just television yeah i haven't seen that one yet Mm. that that one came out the same year the matrix did and kind of the same sort of idea but so existence deals with video games and, and reality and reality like and it's it's the ultimate in uh, unreliable narrator like uh-huh. all of these things Cronenberg just likes to make you wonder like are you really seeing reality or are you seeing mm-hmm. the hallucination yeah yeah like, there's some overlap and even even quote normal things in there like the uh, mission of the cathode ray yeah you go in and you're like everybody acts like this is completely normal but mm-hmm. This yeah. is clearly not normal. It happens, it seems to be often in Cronenberg films. But, but you, you look at, so this came out, this was made in like late 81 through to 82. Uh-huh. And uh, 
the the mainstream movies from that period just look like from another planet now. Oh yeah, but this movie is normality now. Uh huh. Yes, uh, Jean had never seen this, uh, and she watched it. And she said, "This feels so contemporary, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. it really does." Yeah. She also said that it went in a direction she didn't predict, which I said, "The hell, nobody could have predicted where this movie was going to go." <laughs> no. Oh, movie. which part? The abdominal vagina. <laughs> yeah. Now it was a very. Although this is a Canadian um, writer director. Uh, it was a very American thing he had going on for someone to have. Oh man, I got like this rash on my abdomen. I'll scratch it with my gun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very American. Yeah. Except he didn't know how to handle a gun when he picked it out of the case at first. Right. So clearly, not an American. Other Canadians love their guns too. Yeah. And and uh, it's not a rifle. It's it's a handgun. And and finally later in the film, it's literally a handgun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone else gets a hand grenade. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I couldn't figure out at first, but it was it was like the um like the baton style grenade. Because yeah. we always think of the pineapple style As, grenades. Uh, what they called a potato masher. Oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. See you in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. I like that. See you in hell. No. Let's let's write that line as see you in Pittsburgh. Um so what Brian Eggert said about this was um, that uh, you're only, he says, 12 minutes into the film and you should suspect the reality of everything that appears on screen. And he goes on to say that Cronenberg gradually shifts the film into Max's point of view as his hallucinations take over the film. So we really aren't sure what we're seeing at all no after a while and then we we sort of learn as it goes on it doesn't matter whether it's his hallucination or if it's actually happening to him it really doesn't matter it, there's no difference there's no reason to discern between the two and i yeah. like that about this movie that's mm-hmm. that's like my favorite thing about it is that it's media consuming the consumer and that um reality no mo- no longer has any meaning yeah and we're kind of at that point now yeah it's become his reality yeah i mean this is 30 plus years ahead of its time which i find pretty yeah, amazing this is before home computers yeah before home video was really big yeah there there maybe were early versions of these things that were too expensive for every home yeah. to have them um and way before the internet yeah was yeah. was widespread yeah, I mean, it was just a military thing at the time, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was another probably thirteen to fifteen years before people started to really have the internet available to them in the form of America Online, <laughs> AOL. Yeah, that was. It, oh come on! Does no one remember bulletin boards? <laughs> the BBSs. Uh huh. I, I wasted a lot of time on BBSs. Man, I heard people talking about them, but I never had the wherewithal. No, that was the first thing I did on the internet was BBSs. And then I remember when the web was like, I'm joking, but one page. Really? (laughs) There wasn't much to it. It really was like 10 pages on the internet when I started and six of them were Star Wars and the other four were porn. Right. There were no kittens at the time. No kittens yet. What about Star Wars porn? There had to be. There were no Star Wars porn, though. That was the weirdest thing. (laughs) This is before... No one ever... They figured if they mashed those two together, it would be the end of the world. Right. It would would be like the super collider, you know? Yeah. We could tear open reality and... There was a, a Trek fan in my school, huge Trekkie, who evidently owned a tape that was a, a Klingon porno video. We never saw it, but man, I... <laughs> you heard about it. We heard about it. Yeah, whether it actually existed. Um, or it was merely a hallucination. I used to hear stories back in the early days of the internet that if you could get a web page made somehow and up on the internet and you were selling something, you were going to make a ton of money right then and there because people wanted to shop on the internet and um, there really, there wasn't enough out there yet. Yeah, I remember somebody had a page that really, really early that was called Send Me a Dollar. Yeah. 
Yeah, he made so much money because people were willing to send some jackass a dollar just because it was on the internet. It was Damn, funny. that is just crazy. Yeah, that's an example of like the the medium affecting how people yeah. behave. It's just it totally was. I mean, irrational. Yeah, it made no sense. And he was just like, "Send me a dollar." That was basically mm-hmm. all his page said was like, "Here's my address. Send me a dollar." And hey, fortune. What's the worst thing that could happen? Right, murder. <laughs> murder. So what, what does this fellow uh, say? Okay, so Brian, Brian Eggert, Eggert. Yes, he goes on to say that, um, indeed, after multiple viewings, even the most attentive viewer may not get the film. Comprehending it requires intuition and interpretation. Whether or not audiences can recount the details of the plot, a feeling of understanding prevails by the end, even if the audience cannot explain how they got there or how to articulate its meaning. And mm-hmm. I think... That's the most important part for me because that's how I felt. And then here's a guy who actually nails several of the points and puts them into words in a way that I was feeling but couldn't say. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I felt like I understood this, yet I knew I couldn't say it out loud to someone who wanted to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, Especially the ending, that could go several ways. Right. But we feel we understand it. Don't know. Doesn't tell you. But yeah, but we we could be way off from the intended meaning. But uh, the, the weapon... The weapon itself is not brainwashing, um, brain scrambling, transmission of videodrome, but the television itself, mm-hmm. and which distances itself from the viewer, uh, from their sense of reality by creating a false sense of connection to what appears on screen. So that's the other thing that um, Brian Eggert says that um, basically is saying, don't worry about the content. The content's not the problem. <laughs> it's the it's the purveyor of the content. That's what... Uh, so when Cronenberg was at Toronto University, one of the, he didn't take the course, but one of the tutors there was Marshall McLuhan. Okay. You know him, right? No. So his famous phrase is, the medium is the message. Oh, okay. Which he did for his variations on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he was required reading when I went to our college. Oh, no. But yeah, yeah, the whole idea is that you should pay at least as much, if not more, attention to the medium that's telling you things mm-hmm. than what the content is, is supposed yeah. to be. Because that's that's really what's changing society gradually. Uh, so television is doing various things to our sense of compartmentalization and chopping things into bite-sized mm-hmm. consumption and uh, how we perceive crime and society and the world and nature yeah uh just because it's television it's not what's on it um you know the same with any medium and and also any given medium is uh about another medium Mm -hmm. um so so like uh uh you know certain media about writing and writings about other media you know yeah uh, anyway, it's the, uh, yeah, so our minds are being affected by this. Yeah. By, you know, how we're receiving things. So the, the fact that people walk around with their face and their phone. Well, now it's like, it's so extreme now. And you're practically incorporating TV into your body. The Fitbit. You've got, you know, you, you've got like phones and pretty soon there'll be things you can just have on your wrist. Right, like Dick Tracy style. And... Well, they do. They have they have the uh, the iPhone watch, the iWatch. Right, right. Which is fully like everything's an extension of your computer. Yeah, it, to to be part of society in the first world now, uh, it has to be through screens. Right. If you if you don't have that connectivity, then you feel lost. Yeah, I'm not looking looking down at it because I spend all my waking time apart from now in front of a screen right uh you know either watching movies or working on something right so yeah yeah it's definitely part of your yeah i can't look down on it the only time i really feel i do is when i see like a group of uh like middle school kids out hanging out together at like the mall or you know, outdoors at some park or something, and they're all together. There's yeah. four or five of them, but they're all looking at their phones. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, those people you're texting 
or these people who are looking at the stuff you're posting aren't there, but your friends are. Why don't you hang out with them and just talk about stuff and do things? Yeah. I often wonder that. Don't they have drugs? Yeah. What these kids have drugs to use? <laughs> Whatever happened to good old drugs? Or have sex? Come on, people. You're wasting the best years of your life. You should be doing mad amounts of drugs and sleeping with everyone. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're lucky, you'll get to see a snuff film on your phone. Yeah. So, uh... You'll be bored by the decapitation. <laughs> yeah, like we are. <laughs> Just sitting there crying in your gorilla suit. <sighs> bored to tears. Um, Deborah Harry. Mm. Who else would have been perfect for this? She I mean, is so I, good. Yeah. yeah. She is really good in so this. Like, she done, like, one other movie or something? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know if she was in anything else. Yeah, this was uh, this was definitely. Uh, I'm sure this was a, a real draw for the film. Like, I think James Woods was still early enough in his career. I don't know that people really knew much to expect from him. He's just some new actor. And, uh, I was telling Will earlier that uh, I think he was born looking approximately 40 years old. <laughs> so I think he's like 33 or something when they made this. Yeah, that's just, what they say he's 34, and at least the character is yeah. supposed to be 30. I think he's just 40. He's, he's named after a motorbike because Cronenberg was really big on motorbikes. Oh, is that it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. If he reverses names, Ren Max. Ren oh. Max. Oh, that's funny. Ah. But yeah, he's, he's perfect. He's he's funny and sleazy, sleazy and everything you, you need. Yeah. And you brought a lot to this. So are the characters' names a little bit too on the nose? Oh, very. They, they feel it's so artificial, isn't it? Right. Like you, you can't expect them to really exist because, like Nikki is Nikki Brand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's nicked. And right. She brands herself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and convex. Yeah, like Brian a lens. Convex. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then we, we've got Brian Oblivion. Yeah. Yes, which is the best character in this. Yeah. Who won't appear on television unless he's on television. Yeah. And he's been dead for a number of years, mm. but. He has that great speech about the, the, the TV being the, the retina of the mind's eye. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's so good. So there was something, um, and, and we'll just real quick jump back to the um, the review by Brian Eggert, where he talks about um, Nikki Brand, the Deborah Harry character, and says that um, she sees Videodrome and says that she was made for that show. And he questions, does she mean this literally or figuratively? Perhaps she's a televised automation for spectacular optical. Bianca claims they used her image to seduce you, but she was already dead. So Mm -hmm. this tells us again that uh, when he was with her in person, that was a hallucination. Possibly. Or or was it? (laughs) I find that like scanners, this group, this movie... uh, has two groups, two warring factions, but you don't know which group is having you good on. <laughs> or which group is lying. Mm-hmm. Like both of them, the, with scanners, you know, you have the doctor and you have old uh, Michael Ironsides, who seems to be evil, but is he really? I mean, you know, what is he fighting for? Same with with uh, Oblivion and Convex, who. I mean, yeah. Can you trust anyone on this? No. Can you trust anything in this movie? No. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. And that's what's great about it. Yeah. If if something like this makes you question the reality within the film, maybe you will go on to question the reality of all the bullshit that's being fed to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's really where Cronenberg is driving with this whole thing mm-hmm. is like, hey, your reality and and this and this world inside a, a screen um, they're starting to overlap they're starting to blur together and you're you're in it already I think is what he's telling us is you know you're you're the consumer who's being consumed mm-hmm. snake eating its tail but um, the uh, the and, and the last thing I really want to say from uh, Brian Eggert is that with the character of Nikki, um, Max and Nikki share a single encounter, which is to be on a panel on a television show together. Mm-hmm. 
And their relationship doesn't start to become sexualized until she sees Videodrome yeah. and gets turned on by it. So that's kind of the the pivoting point for her character starting to become intertwined with his character and for him to sort of rely on her as a reason to, you know, sort of use like a drug, this Videodrome thing. Yeah. Through her, you know, she's sort of... Um, the, the delivery system for him to to get more involved with it physically because before this he's just watching it kind of feeling things and thinking things and then she's making it physically part of his world yeah so i did find that pretty interesting um what about her being a radio yeah host? what was that i'm not sure what that was about it's uh, radio the old way because she's being very manipulative when she's talking to that person on the phone yeah when he goes to see her at the radio station is i don't know i don't know yeah and she's very persuasive with, with the radio bit yeah i'm not really sure what was going on with that <laughs> i like when they're they they're making love and the, the tv is acting like the fireside mm-hmm. romantic scene and they're, they're all bathed in this like red glow but you don't know where it's coming from and then the only light source is the TV. Yeah. And then he he seems to see them in the Videodrome room. Yeah. And he's, he's inside the TV and then pops back out of it. And he's yeah. the back on the floor. Yeah. He's both in it and not. Yes. Simultaneously. And this was way before The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like by more than a decade. Like 15, 16 years pretty easily. Um, 17 years, yeah. I made some notes here when I was watching it that uh, when the limo comes for Max, um, there's a small TV in this limo, mm-hmm. which was not a very common thing back then for you to be able to have a television in a vehicle. Like having a phone or a TV in a vehicle mm-hmm. was pretty outstanding. Yeah. So um, there's a man explaining that, um, you know, there's a presentation on this small TV and there's a man explaining to him and we turn, you know, we find out later who that is, but... He's saying, like, we make missile guidance systems and this and that and Videodrome. Yeah. So we meet this guy through a small television. So no matter where he goes or what he does, Max is running into TV screens that are trying to, you know, persuade him a certain way. And um, now we've got these screens on our person. We've got them everywhere we go. And, and you're also on TV because there's so many security cameras. Oh, yeah. Like uh, London, on average, you, you're on camera 30 times a day. Yeah, I heard that stat. It's just a CCTV nation over there. Hmm. And we have a lot of them here, but man, London is full of them. And our own phones could be hacked to turn on the camera and yeah, spy and your, on your you. Your TV can watch you if you have the right brand of uh, TV. Right. The, Hooked up to the internet. Yeah. The screen itself can watch you. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it's the pinhole. I think it's the whole screen. Yeah. That's insane. Cronenberg could only have imagined this shit. <laughs> you know, like what he was imagining was way out there. But for it to become real mm-hmm. and much more pervasive, that's stunning if you think about it. You could wear it on your wrist. You could carry it in your pocket. And this computer that is the iPhone is a very powerful computer. It's a very high resolution screen. It's got so much going for it for such a tiny device. Yeah. There's a dog. <laughs> I'll let her in. We've just been joined by Leela. She's a shepherd mix. Dogs help keep you real. They do. Yeah. Dogs have a really good bullshit detector. You know, they know what's real. People, not so much. So, uh, any favorite scenes from from the movie? Well, I love the breathing video cassette. <laughs> I, I gotta admit, that's one of my favorite things about this. Also, when the screen comes out, that's pretty neat effect. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that that was done a few years before they did the same thing with Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Yeah, and it. It's such an effective thing. You I know, don't know just... quite how they did that, I imagine. What? The one where he's kissing the screen? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, uh, they used a dental dam okay. material, same they used for a rear projection in King Kong. 
Oh, okay. And then then they uh, they rear projected her mouth onto it, but it's really tactile, so you can really kiss the screen and yeah, fondle the yeah image. And then uh, <coughs> I think they did it three ways. Like later, when he's at the studio and the gun poked through the screen, mm-hmm. that was um, they were projecting onto it. Okay. They were, they were projecting a static image onto it. As opposed to reprojection, uh, yeah, and then uh, and then the final time you see the TV, you get a glimpse of him on the screen, mm-hmm. and that was a painting. Oh, okay. but it's it's, uh, it's gone so fast that it's yeah, yeah you don't, don't realize they 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 cannon pig guts through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently that was a miserable night. Oh God, they used real guts. Well, because because like it made. In, Canada and at the time because of the way tax was set up the only time of the year you got money to make movies was right in the last three months so they had to start shooting in October no no finished script or anything they just had to start shooting same with scanners right and then get it done by Christmas that's so weird so Christmas Eve they were up till like seven in the morning and they had this uh, sack of pig guts they got from a nearby abattoir and uh, the, the this sack had been sitting around for a week, mm. and then they were using that all night. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's horrible. Mm. But uh, yeah, how hard would it be? I mean, they got Rick Baker at their disposal, right? Yes. How hard would it be for Rick Baker to make some fake guts and some fake blood? Well, he uh, he was he was kind of <clears throat> he was like coming up with endings on the fly, as it were, because he had like several different endings and then they had these all set up and they this movie had to be finished yeah and uh but he so like the first one he said it was all set up and he said no this isn't working went on to the next one no this isn't working so they, they decided to do the scene on the on the boat on the tug and uh then they reconstructed that interior set to, so they could have a bigger set to mm. work with rather than the actual boat so yeah this is like him writing right then yeah and so they, they didn't i mean rick baker needed months and months to develop the special effects so yeah I, I suspect he didn't just didn't have time to rig that and he was he was hot off the success of american werewolf in london mm-hmm. and some other things that were just outstanding work so he he could pretty much uh call the shots i would imagine i mean cronenberg is in charge of what he's working on but uh, i can imagine that if rick baker said i want to do it this way mm. you know as long as it sort of fit the vision i imagine he had that freedom i don't know that's a that's a you know me supposing that well yeah I and mean, I mean, he would have been so in demand yeah at the time but here comes a script where you're you there's these ideas that no one's ever done before right like there's a there's a cancer gun there's a breathing tv there's yeah there's a tumors erupting out of a, a guy <laughs> now let's let's just really briefly address this um this this slit on uh, max's abdomen if this was meant to really resemble a uh, a vhs or a betamax uh, cassette deck at all it would have been going horizontal and not vertical i mean there there's clearly some implication of something vaginal going yes. on here otherwise you know, it'd be just as easy for you have it go the other direction. So I, I think, uh, and I'm not sure. I don't, I have never heard anything from Cronenberg about it, so I don't know what what he. Oh, it's definitely sexual. Oh yeah, I mean it's clearly sexual, but like, does he have a point behind doing this? To put a a, a large vaginal slit on a man's abdomen? Does he have a really good reason for this? Well, especially later when uh, uh, is it Brian Oblivion? Uh, he gets him up against the door and he's like pumps this yeah. set into him you know yeah. it was a little rapey wasn't it yeah it's showing what the media is doing to you yeah it's sticking it in you and you don't get a lot of say in the matter or so it seems so uh yeah that's uh yeah that's videodrome uh by the end of it you're not sure what just happened to your <laughs> to your head yeah it's one of those movies that you're definitely different by the time you finished watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when when I first got my hands on this, it was probably 
not in the movie theater, but probably a, a, a cassette rental. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty thrilled to be seeing something so weird. Mm-hmm. The dog agrees. Um, I was I was very happy with it, and I liked the feeling of not knowing what I just watched. Mm-hmm. That's so refreshing when everything's feeding you the same old tropes. I'm really happy to see like this really makes you question it and makes you want to watch it again. Yeah. So I don't know why I let 10 plus years go by not having seen it. Yeah. I've thought about it several times over the years, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. What, what's, what's his famous line at the end about the new flesh? What does he long say? Long live the new long, flesh. Long live the new flesh. Death to video drum. Long yeah. live the new flesh. So how do you take that? What does that mean to you when he, when he says it? I have no idea. <laughs> Julian, did you get uh, well, one, a clear implication from it? It seems to imply there's some kind of transhuman thing going on that, so beyond death. Yeah. Uh, or is he just demented and he's just going to die? Or is there going to be some transformation? So he, he did think about doing this ending where uh, him and uh, Nikki... And I think maybe someone else, they have an orgy and they and they start producing various sexual organs from their hands and things like that. And hmm. it's like this bizarre orgy. And it got as far as like Rick Baker turning up with a box of weird sexual organs. <laughs> <laughs> but And David Cranberg said, no, don't put them on just yet. Or I'm thinking about doing something else. And they also considered them like sort of bathed in this pool of goo like that was maybe sort of electronic but sort of gooey and i guess they weren't really happy with the look of any of the little tests that they did Mm -hmm. like rick baker had tests for that as well i guess and um yeah there's a scene where uh like the tv arises out of his bathtub like aphrodite oh yeah that's a cut scene right yeah they they, they, like built the prop but they didn't and did they actually film it I don't know but if they you did. Can see the, you can see photos of the, the prop, the TV coming you know, with the bath rig. Yeah. But I don't know if you <clears> actually <throat> filmed the whole thing. Hmm. Well, there's a great quote from Martin Scorsese <clears throat> about David Cronenberg. He says, uh, David himself doesn't know what his films are about. <laughs> and I don't think he says this in a mean spirit. I think he's just like, eh, he even makes it so weird that he doesn't get it himself. <laughs> I didn't take it to to be a mean statement, but uh, I think he's right. You know, like, I think Cronenberg starts creating something that sort of takes on a life of its own. Yeah. That happens a lot with art. Yeah, he just unleashes his subconscious. Yeah, I was was not bored for one minute during this whole thing. (laughs) No. But I think think you said that earlier, Will, that, um, that everybody just takes everything as so matter of fact. Um, just like everything that's happening, yeah, this is normal. This is this is what people do. Yeah, Cronenberg's films are totally that way. Yeah, you know? this is normal. Yeah, everything Jeff Goldblum does in The Fly is just like, yeah, no, well, this is normal. This is what this is what we're doing well, now. You can imagine someone from 1982 looking at how we are now. Oh, we would seem like otherworldly, wouldn't just we? So freaky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Traveling time would really freak people out. And it doesn't even take that many years. That many differences. Anywho, so uh, I think we covered it pretty well. Um, any any revelations? Any new takeaways from this? Having rewatched it, mm, I don't think so. I think the the blurring of lines between you know reality and hallucination. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty clear to me this time that that uh, I wasn't missing something that you're not meant to be able to tell. Yeah, I think that was more apparent to me this time, and um, the visuals still hold up really well considering how long ago it was made. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the skill and the and the care that was put into it. Um, so you know, I would say, me as a viewer, that's the only thing that's changed since originally seeing this is like. I'm more accepting of the fact that I'm not supposed to get it. I'm not supposed to see this is one thing and this is another thing. Like they don't belong in two different compartments. Mm. Everything's sort of overlapped and sort of blurred. So that's kind of my takeaway from it anyway. 
How about you, Julian? Uh, yeah, if you if you were um, <laughs> you you were mentioning uh, the Matrix, um, yeah, if you're thinking of if if you want to see films that prefigure the Matrix, then this one definitely. And there's a there's a this TV movie by uh, uh, Fassbinder from about ten years before Videodrome. It's like this two part German TV movie called uh, World on a Wire, which is pretty much the same setup as the Matrix. It doesn't have the martial arts and stuff yeah. like that, but it's uh, that same idea of setting up a reality replaces the one we used to know. Yeah, I like it. So I see you've got a book with you, Cronenberg on Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. So did you, um, so is that a recommended read? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, clips of his interviews and things. Oh, cool. Put in chronological order. Yeah, I read one on David Lynch, and I think was the same series. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's great. Lynch on Lynch? I don't know if it was called Lynch on Lynch, but it was <laughs> it was the same. There's uh, Scorsese and Scorsese, Schrader and Schrader, Marl and Marl, Levinson and Levinson, Kislowski and Kislowski. Oh, awesome. Uh, we uh, have, up to when this was published, anyway. We have uh, Scorsese on Scorsese I was looking at. How about Naked Lynch? Work. <laughs> Naked Lynch. Yeah, that would, that would be a good one. All right. So... 1983 next? 83. So I wrote a few down. Okay. <laughs> um, Here we go. Sleepaway Camp, Cujo, Christine, Psycho 2, um, even Psychoer, uh, The Hunger, Spasms, and Twilight Zone the movie. Ooh. Any, of, any of those outstanding? Out of those, I've got The Hunger and Christine. Nice. I have Christine. I've got Friday the 13th Part 3. Yeah, Friday 3 was out that year? <laughs> Probably. And I know the following year in 84, we got Nightmare on Elm Street, Night of the Comet, Chud, In the Company of Wolves. Ooh, Chud. Ooh, should, we, should we kind of highlight that one as a good possibility? Chud. <laughs> Chud's a terrible film. I, I, I really liked actor. it the first time I saw it. I did too. Yeah, it was and I fantastic. watched it again like a couple of years ago. And I was like, hmm. The first time I saw it. When I was 14. <laughs> yeah, I remember liking that movie a lot when I was a kid. Okay. But so I haven't seen it since, so. There are other movies from 83. Okay. Um, but those are some I wrote down, just like a short list. Uh, if none of those, like, jump out at you. I mean, Let's have a look at it. Yeah, I wrote them kind of across. Okay, I'm, I'm watching The Hunger again. The Hunger. It's yeah, Peter Murphy at the very beginning Psycho of the movie. Psycho 2 is really uh, good. Yeah, Psycho 2 is not a bad film. So, yeah. so what do you think? Should we flip a coin on The Hunger and Psycho 2? <laughs> okay. I think The Hunger. Really? I haven't you're, seen you're The Hunger in a long, Same here. long, long time. Well, let's do The Hunger. I don't even remember anything about it. Hey, if we get a chance, we'll also watch Psycho 2 and just like have a brief discussion about sure. it. Sure. Because I haven't seen Psycho 2 in so long. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. It's got Norman Bates in it. Yeah. They let him out of the asylum. Uh-huh. Outside of that. There's a Hitchcock cameo. Really? Mm-hmm. No I way. I don't remember that. Yeah. Meg Tilly is in it. Or is it Jennifer Tilly? One of the two. Somebody named Tilly is in it. I think it's Meg Tilly. All right. Well, we're going to do The Hunger then. That's going to be it. So we can count Videodrome definitely as 1982, even though it was supposedly released in 83. Uh, it says so, 82 in what? the book. In the book, the book said 82. The, the video? The, the yeah. credits said 82. Yeah. Okay. It was, so it was, it was shot in late 81 through to 82. Oh, okay. But I think it's like Scanners. Scanners is 81, but some of the things said it was 82. Yeah. Because I think it premiered in December. Oh, okay. In a couple books. It says 82. Okay. Well, if that book says 82. And then 83 did The Dead Zone. Nice. All right. So, on our march to 1989, or 90, whatever we decide we're going to do, um, next week we'll be talking about The Hunger, which will cover 1983. And then we'll decide if we're going to really watch something like Chud. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Jolien, you don't really... No, I saw it again recently, and it was like, kind of boring. Yeah? Yeah. Well, that's the worst sin a movie can commit. Yeah. So let's not do Chud. We'll figure it out. We can There's do more... Elm Street. I know you're Elm Street. Nah. Yeah, yeah, let's do Elm Street. There's a, there's a sentimental attachment to Elm Street. I'll tell you guys off mic, but uh, yeah. In, in the short term, we know we're going to be doing The Hunger, so you know I'll be I'll be putting on some Bauhaus. You know, man, Peter Murphy's singing Bowie. Oh yeah. How much better does it get than that? Uh, if you ever get a chance to see that guy live? Yeah, they do a good version of Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, it's great. All right, let's get out of here. Hey, listeners, thank you for listening. Long live the new Flash. Long live the new Flash.